Revelation 14, 13. And we're going to start there. So we kind of did an introduction last week. In Revelation 14, 13. Now we know this is definitely end times things. This is future things. But it says here in this verse, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed... This is what he was to write. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. So there's a blessing for men and women that die in the Lord. That's saved people. Whether Old Testament saints or New Testament saints washed in the blood of Jesus. That's a blessed person. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. It says from henceforth, the, the Holy Spirit says they're going to rest from their labors. So there's going to be a rest. And God's way, y'all, if we notice in the Bible, all through the Bible, is, is first a death and then life. First a death and a burial, then a resurrection. That's God's way. Uh, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and now we're alive in Christ Jesus. And so this is always the pattern. Jesus went down, 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 right? He, we, to the cross and he died and they took his body down and wrapped it up and they put him in a tomb and sealed it with a stone just dark it seems just dark and death in the end but that's not the end with the lord with things that with with the lord that look like end in the end of all end alls is not okay because that's where he brings newness of life that's where he brings resurrection sometimes our dreams have to die and the Lord can either resurrect those dreams, then they'll be sanctified under the blood of Jesus, or there'll be some new dream. Abraham had to offer up Isaac on the altar. It was necessary. It wasn't some cruel trick by the Lord. Uh, and in all, for all intents and purposes, in Abraham's mind, Isaac was dead. Right? I mean, he, he had the knife lifted up, the, the wood and the altar and everything. That's just God's way. And in John uh, chapter 12, Jesus said, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die. Die. Okay? It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So except it dies first, it's not going to bring forth much fruit. It has to. And it's really basically what a seed, I mean, I know that that's, that's an illustration, but a grain of wheat is buried under the ground dark and damp and cold and no light and and it's like it dies and this dry shell comes off and out of it comes life and a plant and a full fruit on the, on the branches except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die it abides alone but if it dies only if it dies it's going to bring forth much fruit and so that is the example or the picture and we're studying the cross and we're studying the cross specifically not just as the cross of the Lord that He died on. Certainly we're studying that. But how it, what it means to us. What it means to as a, me as a believer. That it's not just He did that for me, but there's an identification. And this, is, this will kind of be a theme through this, this study. An identification with Christ in His death. If we're going to have the fullness of everything that He has for us as believers... There has to be a fullness of our understanding and identification with Christ in His death. And so, doesn't it say in Hebrews, I forgot the exact verse, where it says, let us go forth outside the camp bearing His reproach. And we go forth 
but we go forth um, crucified, yet we live. And, and that is, that's very important that we understand that it's not a death. It's not a death as Paul talks about in, in Thessalonians where he says, we're not as those that sorrow, those that sorrow that have no hope. Because I've preached funerals before where I knew the person that I'm preaching the funeral for didn't know Jesus. There is a sorrow because there's no more hope after that. It's appointed to men once to die, but after that, the judgment. But for blessed are those that die in the Lord, the, the Word of God says, but because they're, they're going to have a rest. They're blessed. And that is always God's way. First death, then life. You know, first death and burial then resurrection. It's no different in our spiritual life. And there has to be an identification. We're not sorrowing as those that have no hope when, when we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow the Lord. That does not mean it's all just misery and drudgery. That the rest of our life as a Christian, oh no, I gave my life to Jesus. Now it's just all misery and I'm dragging this old cross everywhere. We can't be disciples of the Lord if we, we don't. And he says, my joy I give to you. To who? To his disciples. My joy I leave with you. My peace I leave with you. My joy I give to you. Uh, that your joy may be full. But how is it going to come? Is it going to come as a professing Christian or even a, a genuine Christian but that doesn't want to follow the Lord and identify with Him in His death? It's not going to come. It's not going to come when you try to hang on to the things that of your past life before you knew Jesus and, and say, I want to go to heaven too. There is a, this is why the death, you have to think of death as a, as a definite thing. And Jesus died. He, and we talked about it. He didn't swoon. You know, some people say, oh, He didn't really rise from the dead. He just kind of passed out on the cross because it's impossible for somebody to rise the dead, from the dead. Well, it is. But not with the Lord. You know, He didn't just get injured badly on the cross. He died. And after His death, three days in the grave, and then He comes forth alive Never to die again. That's never going to have to happen again. And when we go to the Lord and give our lives to Him, there's an identification with Him in that aspect as well as the resurrection part. And so a lot of people want to kind of skip over the death part and just get to all the good stuff. And they've never really died to sin or the world or themselves. Not in practice and not fully. And it's by faith that we do that. We're not talking about a literal death where we nail ourselves and die. Jesus did that for us. But it is literal in the sense of it's real. Okay? It's real. And by faith we have to walk in it. God's way of deliverance. Let's say there's strongholds in your life. Or in my life. There's strongholds of an attachment to the world. Or a particular sin. Or whatever it may be. Strongholds that are not of God. God's way of deliverance from that is through identification with the Lord in His death. Yes, it's by His grace. Yes, it's by His Spirit. But His means of really doing that is to bring us to an end of ourselves. So one of the themes of this, uh, this study on the cross is being brought to an end of ourselves. And I do believe what we've gone through in the last four or five months in our country and as a church and as individuals, if we'll let that, God could could have been using and still can use that in our lives to bring us to an end of a lot of things that we thought were so important and so necessary and we had to have. They were 
creature comforts or whatever it may have been. And that's just an example of, of what the Lord can do. But His way is to identify with our substitute because somebody died in our stead. Somebody, Jesus, died in our place. And I want us to look at a couple of Scriptures here. Y'all, I don't think we're going to be very long tonight. But I do the Scriptures I have, I do want us to turn to. We're going to read from Romans 5. And then we're going to go to Romans chapter 6 after that. Romans 5. We're going to skip and read a couple of couple of different scriptures. Let's start in verse 6. Now we're talking about here our identification as a believer, not in order to be saved. In order to be saved, we give our lives to Christ, we believe the gospel, but in order to be fully Christ and to be his disciple and to walk with him and have him live the fullness of his life in and through us, we're talking we have to identify with the Lord in his death. Look at Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ did what He died for ungodly men. For the ungodly. Verse 8. But God committed His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. He didn't just come and show us a better way, although He did do that. He, he made a better way, but His way of doing that was like that grain of seed that has to fall to the ground and die. And then it, then it comes to life and brings forth fruit. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by what? The death of His Son. This is three times in three Scriptures. talks about how we came into this life and, and for, were forgiven of sins and reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So it did not end in death and it didn't end on the cross. We know that. In verse 18, and then we'll move on. Therefore, as by the offense of one, that's Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. That's the heritage of Adam. That's what Adam left us. That's what all of us would have done. Don't think we, we shouldn't think we've been any better than Adam had we been in the garden. You know what I'm saying? We would have done, maybe we'd done it earlier, or maybe we'd have done it a day later. But we, he is our representative, and he rightly is our representative and as a fallen man. And so that's, that's the heritage that Adam left us and that we leave our, everybody after us if we don't come to Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came unto all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, that's Jesus, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. But it all had to start with His death. It had to, it, it's where... You know, the, the, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel in a nutshell, according to the scriptures, that's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, and you've seen of witnesses that testified to these facts being true. And so it talks about in that chapter, in much of the Bible does, his death for us. But there also is our death with Christ. Our death with Christ. And again, this is an identification. This is like I identify myself with, with the Lord. This would be like if, if somebody if somebody came and, and said, we're going to arrest you for being a Christian. And you say, well, I don't, I'm not a Christian. I don't know the Lord. Whereas Peter would say, yeah, I know Him. Not at first. He denied Him three times. But in his life, end of his life, he was crucified upside down 
He's identifying himself. Yes, I belong to him. I'm his. Do with me what you will. There's an identification, and that would be all through life. After we're saved and walking with the Lord, identifying with the Lord. And so, uh, our justification, when we talk about being justified by, by faith in Jesus, by His finished work and our belief in Him, that justification is a legal transaction. We've talked about that before, okay? It's important that we get that. These aren't just little phrases that are thrown out. When somebody is justified, it means they are declared or pronounced or rendered just or innocent. Just or innocent. Somebody had to do that for us. Well, Jesus did that for us. When we put our faith in Him, we're justified by faith. He is just and the justifier of them that believe in Jesus. Okay? So there's nobody else could do that. And so, but the justification is not just some legal transaction that in a sense has nothing to do with us. It's just a document or a piece of paper that it doesn't affect my life. I mean, you got an insurance policy stuffed away in some filing cabinet somewhere. It's not going to affect your life from day to day. If you, if you had to go, uh, let's say you served on jury duty and so now you're exempt for the next seven years or whatever. You got this piece of paper saying you don't have to serve again for seven years. It's not going to affect your life from day to day. It's just a, it is actual. It's a piece of paper. But this justification is more than just a legal transaction. He doesn't justify us apart from a union with Christ. So think about that just for a moment. That he didn't just justify us in a courtroom somewhere and say, great, now I'm back at it the way I was before. Now I can get back to life knowing that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for justifying me. He doesn't justify men apart from union with the Lord. That is how, it is a legal thing, but it's also a life thing. His justification is by us coming into Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So it's not separate from a relationship with God. It's not separate from a relationship with Jesus. It's not just something that happened in a back room somewhere and he comes out and said, okay, the verdict's in, you've been justified. That justification came to you and to me by bringing us into a a union with Christ. Mm -hmm. We have been reconciled unto God by the blood of His cross. Brought that reconciled means two parties that were estranged for whatever reason have been brought back together, and this is what the Lord has done for us. So don't think of it only as as something He did for us, but, but there's no kind of heart attachment to it. That rec- that is only possible by a very personal union with the Lord. This is life eternal, Jesus said at the Last Supper with His disciples, that they may know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. A knowing, most intimate relationship that, that uh, are knowing that a person can have. And so it's essential, it's a, it's a nature of Christianity, true Christianity, that we weren't just justified and we write all that down in the explanation of what it means. The justification came through a union with the Son of God, with the risen Son of God. So, um, He declares a sinner just. 
But he declares a sinner just by bringing them into union with himself. And that's what he's done for us. And so I just hope through this study, these kind of thoughts would be, I guess, more uh, important to me, more impressed upon me. The Bible says uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, you don't have to turn there, it says, one that, that one died for all. Jesus died for all. Even people that don't come to the Lord, He still died for them. Okay? One died for all. It says, then all died. See, we're talking about that identification in His death. One died for all. He says, then all died. All died. He died for us. And then we come to Christ who died for us. There's an identification with Him in His death. Um, and I love the way that uh, I read in a book. It says, we therefore died in Christ to sin. And then he says, shall we continue in sin? Well, Paul answers that question. Let's look at it first in Romans 6. Look at verse, verses 1 through 3. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This would be some faulty logic here. God forbid... How shall we that are dead to sin, there's death again, right? Dead to sin, live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, that is salvation. That's another term for salvation. Know ye not that as so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into what? What does it say? His death. His death. And I think sometimes we just... We just skim over things like that and thoughts like that, but there's really something significant to that. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and die, okay? But if it dies, it's going to bear much fruit. And so maybe our, our Christian life has been pretty fruitless. Maybe we're really saved, but we're not nearly as full and fruitful and glorifying to God and as strong and as victorious in this life as we should be. I think there needs to be the working of the Lord in, in that identification with His death in the cross having its full effect upon our lives. And so he says, if we're, if we're in, in, we can't be in sin and in Christ. The two are, are like contradictions, okay? It's almost, it's like Paul is saying it's unthinkable. God forbid. I'm not going to continue in sin. He says, no, we're dead to sin. Well, you could say, I sure don't feel dead to sin. A lot of times I'm tempted and I go right after it. Or maybe I don't go after it, but I'm very enticed to do it and I don't do it, praise God. But it is, it is a question of faith. And we're going to get to this in some, some of the weeks, you know, in the studies ahead. But uh, we... When we gave our lives to the Lord, at some point, whenever you're a child or whenever you gave your life to Jesus, you realized, I am a hell-bound sinner. In whatever terms, you realized, though the wages of sin was death, you realized that you were a sinner, that you were going to be without the grace of God and salvation through Jesus and His blood. You were going to be eternally separated from God. That is the second death, really. When people the dead, they're dead not in Christ, but the dead that died outside the Lord are raised and then sentenced eternally to the lake of fire. And but you realized, praise God, while you were still living and breathing on this earth, that you were doomed 
to death. And then we came to the Lord and we believed in Christ who who died for us. We trusted in the death of another. And we've, we've shared the gospel to people. And we say, well, the wages of sin is death. Well, let me tell you the good news. Christ died for your sins. Nobody got away with it. I say this all the time when it comes to our sin. God forgives sins when we confess, when we repent, when we turn from sins, either for initially for salvation, He washes away a lifetime of sin, or daily as believers, as Christians, we say, God, forgive me for losing my temper. God, forgive me for whatever. But nobody ever gets away with a sin. There's not one sin that, it, that a person will ever get away with. Never. Somebody died for it. Jesus died for it. And so when I gave my life to Christ and you gave your life to Christ, we understood at least that much. And we understand a whole, stand a whole lot more now. But we understood enough to know if I died right now, I'd go to hell. I'd be separated from God because the wages of sin is death. And, but Jesus died for my sins. Well, we don't just say thank you, Lord, again, and then go on our merry way. We, we come to Him and we identify in that death of the Lord. And so, Christ's death for sin, for sin, is automatically... If I walk this out, I'm not saying I'm perfected in it and we're not perfected in it. This is the goal. This is like the ideal of the Lord. Okay, Christ's death for sin is automatically my death to sin. To sin. I'm dead to sin. How are we that are dead to sin? Paul says. We were, we were dead in sin and trespasses. But he says, how are we, how are we now in Christ who are dead to sin to live any longer therein. Well, obviously, and we, we studied this, I don't remember when, months and months ago, can a Christian still, still sin? Absolutely, Christians can still sin. But our position in Christ, if I'm walking it out by faith, and if I'm walking in what He's empowered me and enabled me to do, if I'm walking like Jesus, which He has enabled me to do, then I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. And Tozer used to give the example in one of his one of his books. I don't remember which one it was. He says it's like you know if you were at the funeral of a dead person, a relative, friend, whatever, and you go and 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 the the body's laying up there in the the casket, and you went and talked to them, or shook their hand, or breathed on them, or anything. They're dead to that. They're dead to that. He says there's no relationship to that anymore. Now, so as a Christian, we know their spirits. I'm not getting into all. I'm just making that dead body right there. Uh, they're dead to you. And that you can say what you want, do what you want, poke them, whatever you want to do. They're, they're not going to feel it, see, hear, uh, have any emotions about it, nothing about it. They're totally dead to it. They're not, not just ignoring you. They're dead to it. And the Bible says, now we know we, this in practice, this is not always the way we feel. But the Bible does pronounce our position as being uh, we're dead to sin only as we're identified with Christ. And identified at that particular waking moment of my life, if I'm identifying with Christ, if I'm walking by faith, if the just shall live by faith and I'm living 
in Christ. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It says in Galatians 5. And walking in the Spirit, actually in practice, that would be, part of that would be dead to sin. Because it is a reality. I just don't always walk in it. It's not because God shortchanged me. We can't say, well, God, if you'd have just done this for me and done that for me, I wouldn't keep falling into these temptations. I wouldn't keep sinning. I wouldn't keep whatever. He has given us what we need. Now let's read it real quickly. Let's turn to in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4. I don't speak in, in any of these. Please understand, as somebody that is perfected in this area, I am praying that God would bring me on deeper in this and it would be, I'd be more like Jesus. In order for me to be more like Jesus, one of the things that has to happen, I have to be dead to myself. He's got to increase and I've got to decrease. That is a fact. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as His divine power, that is the dunamis power, the Holy Ghost power, has given unto us, so that's past tense, hath given unto us as believers all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. They're exceeding great. The promises we have in Christ, I don't think we know how great they are. Not just heaven and streets of gold and no more pain and death and sorrow and sickness and tears. Praise God for all that. But He said He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Godliness has to do with our behavior and attitude and Christ-likeness and in this world, in this life, okay? He's given us not some things, but all things. We can never point our finger at the Lord and say, well, God, if you'd have just, as a Christian, if you had, would just have done this for me, I would not have sinned like that. If you'd have given me some more grace, I wouldn't have fallen into that temptation. If you'd have just strengthened me a little more, but I was just too enticed. I had to. The Bible says, don't be deceived. Don't err. Okay? Every man is, uh, is enticed when he sins when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It's our own. God doesn't tempt men with evil. God is faithful and will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That is a fact. That is an eternal fact. There's no temptation taken, you or me, or any believer, none, ever, that is so great that we have to sin. I'm talking about God's perfect ideal. And we need to walk a lot closer to that perfect ideal. I do. Than what I do right now. That's what this study is about. Dying to ourselves. Exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so, God has not shortchanged any believer. Uh, he gives more grace. So if we need grace, He gives more grace. We do need grace. But He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us what we need and we need to walk it out. And so y'all, this is not some... When we're talking about a crucified life, for example, this is not some thing that's for Hudson Taylor and Paul and John and you know what I'm saying? And for Amy Carmichael and for people that are just so holy. This is Christianity. 
when we're talking about identifying with Christ in His death. When Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. That's not just for Paul. Yet not I, but it's Christ that liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So, this is inevitable. It goes with Christianity. I, I couldn't be a Christian if I, I wasn't crucified with Christ. His death, my death. His resurrection, my resurrection. And that's all we're talking about here tonight. Have you ever struggled to please God? I'm talking about as a believer. Have you ever struggled with a sin that has an advantage over you? And you find yourself doing the same things over and over and over that you know aren't honoring to God. Uh, Lord, I said I wasn't going to worry anymore. But all through the night I worried. And I didn't sleep well because I worried so much. And I woke up in the morning, the first thing I did when I put my feet on the ground was start to worry again. These things, God does not want us to live like that. There is real victory. And, and we, have to, we have to be dead to ourselves in order to fully be alive with the Lord. I don't just gloss over that part and say, well, give me the peace, give me the this, give me the that. There's too much uh, of me still living that needs to be put to death and is done by faith. And have you ever tried to serve God but His commandments seem grievous to you? I have. I have shame to admit, not all of them. There are certain things that in serving God, I know I should do this, but I don't like to do this. Loving your neighbor, loving your enemy. Okay? Forgiving those that have hurt you when they really hurt you. And they're Christians or they're professing Christians. And uh, they should have been thankful. They should have appreciated me. And they hurt me. And, and it's grievous. It can be grievous to us. But those kind of things weren't grievous to Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? When, the, when He's on the cross and He already hadn't slept all night, and one of His twelve that He loved, having loved them, He loved them to the end. Judas betrayed Him. And His disciples that should have watched Him pray fell asleep. And His disciple that said He would die with Him denied Him three times. And people mocked Him and spat upon Him and pulled the beard out. And then on the cross, He's getting ridiculed. Oh, He saved others, but He can't save Himself. Let's wait and see what's going to happen. Let's see if his father comes to help him. Let's see if Elijah, whatever, is going to come to help him. And he's saying, what? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. But you know, we don't... We say, well, that's Jesus. He can do anything. I would agree. That's Jesus. He can do anything. But didn't Stephen do the same thing when he's being stoned? When he preached the Gospel to them? And they covered their ears and gnashed their teeth on him and picked up stones and laid their coats at, the, the, at Saul of Tarsus' feet and began to stone him. And he said, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't lay this trespass to their charge. That's his enemies. That's people for the most part. Most of them would probably never come to know the Lord. Maybe some would. Saul of Tarsus would. But that's not the point. The point is, in that moment, he was Christ-like. That's not natural. God calls us to do a lot of things, y'all, that are not natural, that are not normal, 
But even beyond that, we would say he calls us to do things that are impossible. You cannot love your enemy. You cannot love anyone like yourself. Not even the closest people to you. To love your neighbor as yourself. These things are beyond us. But they're not beyond Christ in us. So that tells me, and he calls me to do it, right? He tells me, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. He gives the example, who is my neighbor? And he gives the whole thing about the good Samaritan. And Samaritans and Jews didn't even fool with each other. And he finds this one close to dead. He's been beaten and robbed. And he pays for it. He takes him on his own donkey. He takes him to a hotel. Take care of him. Fix him up. Patch him up. Uh, whatever he is charged, whatever money you spend on him, I'm going to pay it. He didn't even know the man. That's our neighbor. That's loving our neighbor as ourself. Is that possible? No. We could go copy that and mimic it somehow. But to love our neighbor as ourself, to love our enemies, to pray for those that despitefully use and persecute us, that is not possible, but yet he has absolutely called us to. He didn't let us off the hook because it's not possible. We have to find our strength in the Lord to do it. Not only find the strength like help me to do it, He has to do it literally through me. He has to love through me. He has to live in me and through me. And, and this is going to come. I have to be dead to myself. I can't say, well, I want all the, that holiness of God, but I haven't died to myself. They cannot... You can't have the fullness of what Christ has called us to without being dead. And so there's a work of the cross, not just His cross, but how His cross is now my cross and how it affects my life as a believer. Certainly it was necessary for me to be saved. That's where our Lord died. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But now that I am saved, there is a working of the cross in my life. To be dead to this world, dead to sin, dead to self. Self is our biggest enemy. I, I really believe it. I don't believe it's, it's the devil. The devil is our adversary. There's no question about it, and I don't minimize him. But even bigger than the devil is my, my enemy of myself. Because I think there's some good qualities in me that I want to keep. You understand what I'm saying? That I want to promote. That I want to hang on to. And Jesus said, no, it's all got to go. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it's not going to bear fruit. And here it is, our Father glorified that we bear much fruit. So there has to be death before that fruit bearing. Um, it's not an imitation of Christ. And I'm bringing this to a close, but it's not a mere imitation of Christ. Let's put it that way. Where I read the Bible, and i got a pretty good handle and grip on how a Christian is to live. Because it's laid out for us very well. As far as behavior, what you do, what you don't do, what you think, what you don't think, who you love, all that. It's okay, got it, Lord. And we go our best and, and we try to imitate Christ. The power has to be, it's more than an, an imitation of Christ. It is, as one man put it, a participation in Christ. Where he's actually living, I'm participating. His divine, that we might be partakers of the divine nature. And sometimes we, get, we might be very frustrated in our Christian life. I, I never have developed a prayer life like I should. Even when God's told me to, to get up in the mornings and seek Him, I haven't done it. When He's told me to go witnessing, 
years past and I still don't get up and do it. I really want to. And we're, it's not an imitation. It's a participation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this is, is very important that we understand that. We be partakers of His divine nature. Now I'm bringing this to a close. We're not going to be any, any longer tonight. But the life that is identified with Christ in His death is also going to be identified with Him in His resurrection. And the life that's identified with, with Christ fully is going to be a life of victory. I didn't say it's easy. I didn't say there's no struggles. But it will always be an overcoming life. Whatever adversity comes, whatever valley, whatever darkness, whatever comes our way that would the devil, all of hell like against Job, everything that comes against us, it, the Lord will be greater in us. A life that's identified fully with the Lord. These end times things that are happening in our country. It's always going to be an overcoming life. And I want you to read uh, Romans fifteen thirteen, if you would. <clears throat> Romans fifteen thirteen. I'm going to read one more. Now the God of all hope <clears throat> fill you with all joy and peace. So He's fill you. Okay? God of all hope fill you. Not just when you get to heaven. Fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing. That's the faith. That you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So it's not just a mere imitation of Christ. It is the power of the Lord. The power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And this is where we're filled with this, this joy in believing. Now I'm going to close with this. Uh, Hudson Taylor, we know Hudson Taylor, the, the uh, wonderful missionary that God raised up to reach inland China. Amazing uh, life and amazing what the Lord did through this one man. But after months of agony uh, and struggling to realize, to actually live a holy life and a life of power, um, his, he, he was brought to a place by the Lord of utter despair. Now he was a Christian, okay? But he, again, he was trying to please God, trying to be holy, trying to walk in the power of the Spirit, and so forth. And he was brought to a place of despair. Now God does that. I, God does that. He brings us to places. That would be a sermon in itself. Don't run from that. He'll bring you to a place where you want to throw in the towel and think the whole thing's a sham. That's how desperate you are. Say, God, if you don't do this, I'm done. I'm talking about as a Christian. If you don't do this in my life, I'm tired of reading about laying hands on the sick and, and they recover, and I lay hands on the sick and nobody recovers. I'm tired about tired of reading about praying high as prayer life, and I can't pray 15 minutes. It, it, and we're desperate. You don't have to tell me about it. You, there, there, God brings us to those places. And it's death before resurrection. He's going to bring us down where again, we, we don't feel God. There's no emotion to it other than maybe frustration. We, we feel like we're that close to really walking away from the whole thing. But we don't, we don't walk away from it because the Bible says we're kept by the power of God through faith. 
unto him who is able to keep you from falling. He keeps us even in those times. Those times in our life are essential. I don't think it's every day. You might have one in your life. You may have two in your life. Hudson Taylor had this. He was brought to a place of despair and he just had to rest fully upon the faithful one. He had to get his eyes off of himself and trying to do better. Not that we don't try. I'm not saying that. But he realized in his own life this frustration and despair. So he writes this letter to his sister after, after he came to this point and God raised him up, so to speak. He was already a believer before any of this happened. And this is his letter. I'll just read one paragraph and we'll close. The sweetest part, if one may speak of one part being more sweet than another, is the rest which full identification with Christ brings. I am no longer anxious about anything, for He, I know, is able to carry out His will, and His will is mine. It makes no matter where He places me or how. That is rather for Him to consider rather than for me. For the easiest positions, He must give me grace, and in the most difficult, His grace is sufficient. So if God places me in great perplexity, must He not give me much guidance? If He places me in a position of great difficulty, must, must He not give me much grace? In circumstances of great pressure and trial, must He not give me much strength? As to work, talking about His labor in the Lord, mine was never so plentiful, so responsible, or so difficult, but the weight and the strain are all gone. I mean, is that not a blessing? He's not saying He took the easy path. My work in Christ has never been so hard, so plentiful, kept me so busy, but the weight of it is gone. The straining of it to try to make it happen is gone. This is what we're talking about in our study on the cross. This is what God is wanting to do. Don't be afraid of it. This is what He's wanting to do. To get there first and then to get there second. You know what I mean? To identify with the Lord. It says the strain is all gone. His resources are mine, for He is mine. All this springs from the believer's oneness with Christ. Amen? Amen. And so Dee's going to begin to play. And while she's doing that, the altar's open. Uh, and... I just encourage you every time, even if it's just for a few moments, I know your kids got to get for school or whatever it may be, even if it's just for a few moments, don't be a forgetful hearer of the Word. God gave this to our church for a reason. He wants us to lay hold on it. So even if it's for a few minutes to ask God to seal it in your heart, not that the work of the cross is going to be completed tonight, but we can ask Him to do this work. We can yield to His working in our lives. And I'm going to read one scripture while Dee's playing. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Paul says, it's a lot like uh, Hudson Taylor, Wherefore I also labor, striving, but here's how he does it. I labor, striving, according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? Wherefore also I labor, striving according to His working which worketh in me mightily. Not even just on my behalf, but actually in me. It's the working of the Holy Spirit. It's the working of God 
to do and to will and do of his good pleasure. And God, we just praise you and thank you.